you're going to want to do additional things. You're going to want to travel, you know, in a post-pandemic era. You're going to want to play golf. You're going to buy stuff, you know, for your grandkids. Those things all cost money. So there's a good chance that you're going to spend as much in retirement as you did before, and you need to have a plan that adjusts that way. There are many factors that contribute to success, skill, good work habits, positive mental attitude, and of course, proper planning. So let's head to the drafting table and get this retirement success blueprint underway with Michael Stewart of Crystal Lake Tax and Financial. I'm your co-host, Mark Killian. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome into the podcast. This is the retirement success blueprint with Michael Stewart. We're going to talk about investing, finance, and retirement as we typically do on the show. And this week, we're going to talk about not making assumptions on the podcast, never assume. And we all know the, the little lesson behind that with the little fun little thing we can say about that. So we won't say it on the air. But Mike, what's going on, my friend? How you doing? I'm doing great. Spring's around the corner, so can't get excited. Very, very good. Yeah, we've had some decent weather here uh, creeping in, just slowly but surely, a little bit here and there. And that's okay. We'll take it, right? It's all good stuff. Uh, I got to ask you, though, man, before we get into this, now I, I know it got shot down in the current deal uh, with the $15 an hour thing. But, you know, what's your take on that? Because you know it's going to get brought back up again in some form or fashion with some legislation. Uh, how do you see this playing out from a, you know, just from a perspective of what you do every day? Do you feel like it's going to have a, a positive or a negative impact on the economy or, you know, not much of one? What's your thoughts? Yeah, it's really kind of a double edged sword when it comes down to, let's say, the, the $15 minimum wage. And, Part of that is, you know, at seven and a quarter, you know, current minimum wage, where we're at, you know, nationally, some states are a little bit higher, but, you know, the national minimum wage is about seven and a quarter. The biggest issue with that is that's not a, an actual living wage, right? So it's maybe the minimum wage, but nobody could actually, you know, rent an apartment, pay a mortgage, raise a family, right? If, you know, one or two people had, had that as their main source of income, but it was never really designed to be that way. And right. that wasn't the minimum bar of, sustainability, it was just saying, okay, you know, at what amount can we compensate somebody to do, you know, whatever um, amount of work that it is. On the flip side, you have to look at it on, you know, because kind of there's a, there's two sides of that coin. On the flip side, you have to look at it as what would a $15 minimum wage mean? And, you know, and where I talk with clients, especially business owners about that is really a couple things. So one, if you had to pay somebody $15 an hour, the money isn't just ethereal. It's not coming out of the air. <laughs> it's got to come from somewhere. So right. is that going to be higher prices or reducing costs somewhere else within your organization? So think about, you know, when, when we were kids growing up as teenagers and even in their 20s and that, of you know, a lot of our jobs, our first jobs were minimum wage jobs, you know, mm -hmm. because oh, yeah. they could afford to hire more people, bring more people on uh, because the cost of labor was a lot lower and it gave us, you know, a good sense of responsibility and, and some other things. Uh, the other side of that is, let's say today, you know, and use a lot of, especially in retail or food service, hospitality, let's say that the average worker's making $10 an hour. So let's not say seven and a quarter, you know, they're making $10, $12 an hour. And now that gets bo boosted up to $15 an hour. Well, their supervisor was making maybe $15 an hour and their manager was making maybe $18, $20 an hour. Well, what happens up the scale for those others? Well, the supervisor or the manager is not going to be still making the same $15 or $18 that the general labor is. So now their wage needs to increase as well. So now that person, the supervisor that was making $15, maybe they need to go up to $18 to $20. The manager that was making $18 to $20 now needs to go to $22, $25. Once again, where's the money going to come from? You know, I think that the bigger discussion and as we add in technology and other kind of things, and as businesses get more efficient over time, is less about 
you know, what's the appropriate minimum wage? Because that comes with, you know, two sides of, of a different debate and more so about how do we prepare not only retraining current workforce, but also those for the jobs of the future where minimum wage isn't really an issue. It's more of a skills issue because if you have the right skill set in today's economy and the economy that we see going forward, then minimum wage doesn't even come into play. Gotcha. Yeah, I think it's definitely, I like the double-edged sword conversation because there's you can certainly understand the arguments on both sides of it, but there's a lot to factor in there. So we'll keep an eye on it. We'll talk about it, I'm sure, more in the future as it gets brought back up again. But for the rest of today's podcast, let's talk about reasons why you might want to never make an assumption. You know, Mike, we often see people making those about retirement just in life in general as humans. I think it's just part of being human, right? We all make assumptions about things. But from a retirement standpoint and what you've seen through your many years of doing this, let's go over a couple of major bullet points here just to get your take on it. Let's start with the classic of I'll spend less when I retire assumption. I, I get it. Makes sense. But I don't think that's really the case anymore, is it? So I'll give you kind of two examples. So and you know, one will be a real world example. You know, the first one is just common sense is that you know, idle hands, you have more time available, so you're going to do more stuff. That's what happens when you retire. Retirement is permanent unemployment, right? So uh, what winds up happening is you know, most people throughout the, the last third of their working life, so when you're in your 40s and you're in your 50s and approaching your 60s and that, you've built your lifestyle mm-hmm. around your income level. And what that means is when you retire, I think we don't have one person in our practice that says, I would like to live on a diminished lifestyle in retirement. <laughs> Nobody wants to go but backwards, really, right? <laughs> oh, exactly. So when you say, I'll spend less when I retire, well, that's true if that means that we've done a good job that we paid off the mortgage ahead of time, so our cash flow needs are down. We don't go into retirement with some big debts. You know, Then sure, you can live on a little bit less. But for the most part, many in the first year or two of retirement, you need about the same level of income because one, you don't want a lower lifestyle, and two, you're going to want to do additional things. You're going to want to travel, you know, in a post-pandemic era. You're going to want to play golf. You're going to buy stuff, you know, for your grandkids. Those things all cost money. So there's a good chance that you're going to spend as much in retirement as you did before, and you need to have a plan that adjusts that way. Yeah, that's a great point. And even if you're trying to make the argument with yourself about, you know, the lockdowns and the pandemic and so on and so forth and not traveling, I mean, retirement, you're still going to be retired. You're still going to have this free time and you're going to want to occupy it doing something, whether it's local or traveling or whatever the case might be. So it's certainly a good way to think about that and not just assume you'll spend less in retirement. Another place, Mike, is taxes. You know, it kind of goes hand in hand with that. Well, I guess if I'm making less, then my taxes will be lower when I retire. That's kind of where it tends to go. Yeah. And that goes back to that lifestyle question is, you know, and we we had a couple that I had sat with uh, their clients now, but, you know, about two years ago, Mm -hmm. they came in and they they were making about $160,000 a year, really solid income. And they said, yeah, we're looking to retire in the next couple of years. And we started putting together kind of retirement income projections. And they said like, oh, we could live on 60 grand a year. Like, okay. Okay. All right. So you're banking a hundred grand a year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, 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 no. We're spending it. You know, I'm like, okay. So at the end of every month, you've got so much extra, maybe an extra five, 10,000 going into savings. Right. No, no, it's tight at the end of every month. Right. And part of that, it goes back to, well, then where, how are we going to be able to retire on about 60,000 if we don't have the things in place now in order to make that happen? And I bring that up because not only is it that I'll spend less when I retire, But it's also saying that if you can't spend less when you're in retirement, that means that your taxes aren't really going down either. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I wouldn't bank on that. You know, when if you're supplementing your retirement income, your Social Security with either pensions, if you're fortunate enough to have one, you're taking money out of your IRAs, your 401ks, there's a great chance that most of that's going to be taxable. 
And as all that income starts coming out of these retirement plans that we've saved an entire life for, it also begins to make part of your social security taxable, up to 85% of your social security. So, and, and here's, I want to paint a picture of kind of a typical household to let you know that your taxes aren't going to be lower in retirement. Okay. Let's say husband and wife, you know, husband's social security benefit is about $3,000 a month and the, the spouse's social security is about $2,000 a month. Well, that right there is $60,000 a year just in social security. And let's say they needed to keep that same lifestyle. So they took $20,000, $30,000 a year out of maybe some of their retirement accounts. You know, not a huge amount, but just enough to kind of pay the bills and things. So now all of a sudden, they've got about eighty dollars or $90,000 as a household income. Well, just using the 2021 tax rates, if you have a married couple and you have an excess of $80,000 of taxable income, you're in the 22% tax bracket. That covers you from about 80,000 to about 170,000, that 22% tax bracket. Mm-hmm. So if they were making 140 in, in you know, 120, $140,000 working, even though they might be living on 90 now, they're still in the same tax bracket. They're still in that 22% tax bracket. And the bigger part of that is we're at near historically low income tax brackets now. They haven't been this low you know, in a very long time. So what do we think with all the stimulus, with the entitlement program, Social Security underfunded, Medicare mm, underfunded, yeah. you know, we're already, once this $1.9 trillion got passed, we're already about $5 trillion more in the hole from just stimulus with more to come. How are we going to pay for this? Taxes have to go up in the future. So not only are you not going to be in a lower tax bracket than where you are today, chances are you're going to be in an even higher tax bracket on comparable income in the future. When the government needs more tax money, are they going to get it from the people that don't have the money or the people that do have the money? It's a great point. Certainly good reasons to think about it and reasons why you shouldn't make those assumptions. And that's what we're talking about today on the podcast. Uh, some assumptions that can get us in a little bit of trouble. This one's a little bit, you know, I don't know if it's always the norm. It certainly had become that way a little bit more often, Michael, but uh, helping the kids get through college before worrying about ourselves. I mean, I get it. As parents, we all want to do the best we can for our kids, but there becomes, a, I would imagine, a critical point or a time when you have to really start making some hard decisions about how much you're willing to sacrifice your future retirement to help the kids because all you're doing then is maybe putting yourself back on them as a burden when now you need help from them in retirement later on, right? It's, very, it's a very fine line. That's as, that's as they'll take you. you, know, they'll that's, take you. that's a great <laughs> yeah. point too. Yeah. Yeah. So, so part of that, and, and, and I'm going through it myself. I've got two boys in college at the university of Iowa right now. My daughter's a senior in high school. So, you know, that'll be, um, as one leaves college, another one's going to go in. So I'm, I'm, I'm on this train for about an eight, 10 year trip. Right. You know, and so it's, it's a delicate balance between you've got to still take care of yourself. You are a lot closer, if not already in retirement. And although you want to do the great thing and help the kids out and, you know, make sure that they don't start off in bad footing with a bunch of loans, you got to remember there's also no such thing as financial aid for retirement. You know, you can't start <laughs> sure, taking sure. out loans for retirement in, uh, you know, when you retire, the government's just not going to give it to you. Yeah. So it's great that you want to help your kids but you can't sabotage yourself in the process. So, you know, student loans, of course, if we can avoid debt, you know, especially for the kids side of it, you want to do that. But mom and dad financially have to be okay to be able to take care of yourself for what could be potentially be a 30-year retirement. The kids in their essence are going to be in a position, even if they have some student loans associated with them, to where they've got their entire life going forward. They've got another 40, 50 years to, you know, tackle all this. And if mom and dad have a good financial plan and have taken care of their needs for retirement, there's always the ability that mom and dad, if they're ahead of their goal, can help out the kids 
with student loans or help them out, you know, over their lifetime to tackle this because they know that they're going to be okay. The parents are going to be okay. And if they've done a good job managing these funds, they'll also be able to leave a legacy that will help their kids down the road as well. So the, the parents have to take care of themselves, but at the same time, you know, you don't have to necessarily not assist the kids give them great advice, help them out. And then over time, if you're in a good financial position, you will be able to help the kids. Yeah, that's a great point for sure. Uh, you know, you got to pay ourselves. We got to pay our future selves. So keep that in mind as well. Uh, all right, final one here, Michael. And that is the person that just does the assumption that they're never going to be able to retire. And often what happens with this, I feel is, and you can attest to whether how you see this in your practice, but so many people just assume they're not going to be able to retire, so they don't even bother to find out. They don't bother to run the numbers, sit down with an advisor, you know, get a plan pulled together and look. And I think more times than not, people are pretty pleasantly surprised to find out they're in better shape than they thought. Yeah, there, there's two areas and kind of schools of thought. And I've seen it in my 21 years as a financial planner and fiduciary is uh, on one side, you get those that kind of like the ostrich is that they, they have no idea nor, and they're kind of afraid to find mm-hmm. out, you know, that they don't want to hear the bad news. So, you know, hope is the strategy. Hope if I just keep throwing more money into this bucket, my 401k, my IRA, my savings, that I'm going to get to this magical age and then I'm going to be able to flip on a switch and everything's going to be okay. You know, that usually isn't a good strategy. On the other side, we've seen it and we see it almost every day in our practice when we're talking to prospective clients is that their advisors, they're working with brokers and advisors and insurance agents and, you know, salespeople essentially. And they're telling them, no, you you don't have enough. You got to keep working. You got to keep saving. You got to keep making your IRA contributions. You got to keep doing this. And I'll give you an example in our practice. Uh, We had a lady named Jane. She's 64 years of age, had saved a really good amount of money, been a great saver. Uh, She's a widow. And then, you know, she was working with a local financial advisor here with a, with a big firm. She came in through our tax practice. We sat down, did a kind of a second opinion review just to find out where she is versus where she wants to go. And then the conversation that we had, she's like, you know, my advisor says I got to work until I'm 70. There's no way I could possibly retire before then. I said, really, Jane? I said, so we like, can we do an analysis for you on that and just let you know? Mm-hmm. So she came back about a week later. We showed her and said, you know what, Jane? you've got enough. It's just not invested for income. It's invested all for growth. So you're taking all the risk of the market, all these kind of things. You're not maximizing how you can claim your social security because there was a survivor benefit being a widow. In addition to, we let her own benefit continue to grow to 70. But we put a plan together where at 65, just 12 months later, she could actually retire. Hmm. Her advisor said, no, you can't. You can't do that. You know, his numbers are way off. Guess what? It's been several years and Jane's in better financial shape than when she started retirement. Nice. It's all about having a plan. Yep. Great point. And really good, just good conversation about not making those assumptions. And of course, if you need some help getting a plan together, get your own retirement success blueprint with Mike and his team at Crystal Lake Tax and Financial. If you've got some questions or concerns, as always, on this podcast or any show that you hear, you always want to check with a financial professional as it relates to your situation specifically. You can reach out to Michael at 815-526-3092. Or check us out on the podcast anytime at uh, subscribe, whatever platform you like. If it's Apple or Google or Spotify or iHeart or Stitcher, you can find all of that at Mike's website, crystallaketax.com. That's crystallaketax.com. Or just search the name of the podcast in any of those platforms, Retirement Success Blueprint. And while you're at the website, if you want, shoot us an email question. We take those from time to time on the show. And we've got one to wrap up this week. And it is from Bo in Chicago. And he says, Mike, I need about 5000 to live on each month in retirement, and my Social Security and pension will total about 5300 
Does this mean I'll be able to leave my entire 401k behind to my kid? Yeah, Bo, congratulations on the upcoming retirement and the fact that you, unlike many Americans, actually have enough guaranteed income in Social Security and pension than you currently need. So that's a great starting point, independent of what you've saved. Mm -hmm. Now, the question was, will you be able to leave your entire 401k behind to your son? So there's there's probably three big factors that you want to consider, Bo, and this really applies to a lot of our audience that might be in a, a similar situation, is, hey, I'm fine now. I'm fine today as far as the amount of income that I have coming in. So part of that conversation is, one, you know, if you needed long-term care, had a health care event, you know, kind of took a turn for the worst, either now or 15 years from now, how would you pay for it? Do you have long-term care insurance in place? Do you have your portfolio where it can generate enough income to make up for any additional either home health care or assisted living facility? Or would you have to start cannibalizing that same 401k you want to leave to your son? So that's one consideration. Second consideration is going to be inflation. Inflation means that although that $5,300 you have coming in now more than covers what your expenses are, if there isn't a big cost of living adjustment associated with that, and cost of living adjustment means that for inflation, as you know, each year everything gets a little bit more expensive, typically about every 12 to 15 years, the cost of living doubles. So that means that if you need 55 grand today, you're going to need about eight or 10 grand in about 10 to 15 years from now. Where are you going to get that extra income from? Is your portfolio positioned to be able to give you a rising income to supplement Social Security and retirement? And you know that that's really the big difference there. So one, you got to be cognizant of cost of living that you know things are going to cost more in the future. Are you positioned to do that? Second, you need to make sure that you have you know your portfolio is not going to get wiped out. Your legacy is not going to get wiped out with healthcare concerns. And the third thing is really how much risk are you taking? So, Bo, we tell clients, and I love telling clients this: that once you've won the game, stop playing the game. So here you've got this 401k. And, you know, I, without seeing the statements and things, we don't know how aggressive or conservative that you are, but you want to make sure that it's protected, it's preserved, so that if any of those events, either cost of living increases to give you additional income in the future, or healthcare issues were to happen, that you're in a position where that money's going to be there for you. Because although you don't need, necessarily need it for income today, you do need that money for opportunity over time. So if you want to protect that 401k, you want to make sure that that legacy is going to be available for you. Uh, You need to work with an advisor that's going to address the inflation aspect of it, give you a rising income over time, mitigate any healthcare concerns, and also make sure that the market can't, you know, take 50% of it away just because there's a crash. All right. Well, great question, Bo. Thank you so much. So maybe instead of thinking about leaving the entire, you're going to want to leave something behind. And that's part of working with an advisor. You say, hey, I'd like to leave a legacy. Um, just don't you know, bank on something. Again, it kind of goes really well with our conversation today of assuming, right? So that his question, if he's assuming that <laughs> nothing will change, that 5,300 will cover him, you know, that might be an assumption that gets him into trouble. So great question, Bo. Thank you so much for the time. Mike, thanks for your time here on the podcast. I always appreciate talking to you. Look forward to talking to you again here in a couple of weeks. Yep. Talk to you during March Madness, Mark. Uh, there you go. We'll see you a little bit later here on the show. Thanks for hanging out with us on Retirement Success Blueprint with Michael Stewart, founder at Crystal Lake Tax and Financial. We'll talk to you next time.
investment advisory services offered through Sound Income Strategies, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisory firm. The information provided herein is for training or educational purposes only and does not constitute an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any securities, investments, investment strategies, or investment advice relating to securities, nor is the information or representation that any security is a suitable or appropriate investment for any person. Before acting on any advice, you should consider the appropriateness of the advice having regard to your own objectives, financial situation, and needs. Please contact us to obtain our disclosure brochure relating to the services offered by Sound Income Strategies, LLC, and consider its contents before making any decisions. Where quoted, past performance is not indicative of future performance. Sound Income Strategies, LLC does not represent or warrant that the contents of this program are suitable for you from a compliance, regulatory, legal, or any other perspective. We shall have no responsibility for your use or non-use of the program or any portion thereof. Crystal Lake Tax and Financial and Sound Income Strategies, LLC are not associated entities.